Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. Today, we'll be diving into game-based learning, specifically how to use the principles and strategies of game design to create engaging learning experiences. We have two game developers who are key to developing our video game, Azaria, and who will be sharing their game design experience. Bobby Lockhart is an award-winning designer of educational games based in Chicago. He has been in the games industry for over 10 years, and his games have been exhibited at festivals around the world. He continues to be interested in how learning goals and game mechanics best work together, as well as the disciplines at the border of game design, like toy invention, themed entertainment, and narrative. Valentin Brhanev is a software developer and telecommunication engineer who implemented his childhood dream and became a game designer. He has had more than 10 years of experience in software and web development and over eight years of experience making educational games to teach people about coding. He uses his jack-of-all-trades skills to make education better. His two kids have made wonderful playtesters of game-based learning. Valentin and Bobby, thanks so much for being part of our podcast. Thank you for having us. Well, I always like to start the podcast with a simple question. Could you please describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? Let's start with you, Bobby. I have a story that I've told a couple of times where in the first grade, I had a computer teacher who was actually really ambitious and tried to teach Logo, the the computer language for kids. Yeah. I really enjoyed that class and did a fun like race car animation project. And um, there was one other student who made like, like spirograph style images. And then everyone else did not complete a project. That's really surprising. It is. And I've thought a lot about what, why, why that educational experience was so fun for me and so unsuccessful for most of the students in that class. And that's partly what led me to work on my independent educational game, Codemancer, um, trying to take away all of the obstacles that those kids faced in finding fun in computer science. So with your experience now, looking back at that memory, can you think of any clues that might have prevented other kids being interested in the logo program? I think uh, part of it was that they were in pairs and they were given very little in the way of a, a creative prompt. So logo is is not a game. It's like a creative tool. I know you know this, but for the listeners, so there are no goals built into it. You have to make your own goals and they were not provided by this teacher. <laughs> So I think a lot of students started something and then they, you know, not like it and delete it and try something else. And the two partners might have argued about what they wanted to do. And so the open-endedness was really intimidating for some of them, I think. I feel like it's a double-edged sword since a lot of educators we know ask for an open-ended platform. But one of the most intimidating things is a blank page. That's a good point that they needed challenges or some goals, at least, to get them to kickstart that experience. How about you, Valentin? What was your memorable experience? As we mentioned, like I had engineering uh, education. So it's maybe like Russian-specific experience, but mostly, especially in school and first year in university, university, 
it's traditional way. You need to remember a lot of information. Then exams, you have like a paper, you need to write everything, you need to learn a lot of information. However, last two years in my university, it's when your specialization starts. So you like on the third year, you change whole teacher. And that was the memorable point because it's a point when on exams, you don't need to remember anything. There is a shelf with books. Use any of them. Use you have lectures, take lecture. Like any material. We can take books, like we don't care. Like so, because an engineer, it's not who knows everything, it's who knows where to find information. If you understand how it works, you don't need to memorize it. Because like you can, like, if you understand how formula mathematics work, you don't need to remember it. So I think it's exactly when I started loving programming. And that's what exactly now I acquire from my kids. So like, don't need to remember, understand it. So it sounds like you both have had memorable experiences as students. And Bobby, you touched on it a little bit when you talked about your logo experience, about how that sort of got you interested about developing your own games. Could you expand a little bit more about how you got interested in the world of game design? When did you start exploring it? And what did you learn from those first few years? Sure. I was working at Wolfram Alpha on sort of this educational-ish tool. And I read this book, The Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson. And in the book, it describes basically the utopian educational game of the future. And it's, it's like a singular thing that surveils the user when they're not using it in order to determine what what the most salient thing to teach them would be and then it works that material into a procedural narrative starring the player (laughs) it's it's totally science fiction but it got me so interested in the potential for educational games and like the the way that they can unlock human potential that I decided that I wanted to get into educational games and try and help the human race survive, I guess, indirectly. So after that, what did you end up doing? It sounds like you made your own game to teach kids how to code. Well, first I wanted to learn about games in general. So I got a gig as a back-end programmer at a studio. And then a position for a junior designer there opened up and I applied and, and got that. And then I sort of worked my way and also sort of randomly inherited lead position there, lead game design. So I was in way over my head. And just as I was sort of figuring out how to be a good game designer, the studio pivoted to gambling games and laid off the design staff. And I took that opportunity to form my own educational game studio. And then I started working on, on that game Codemancer that I was talking about earlier. Great. How about you, Valentin? How did you enter the world of game design? Ah, good question. So my school years, it's like 90s. It's years when Western culture started to flow in Russia. Yeah, because like Iron Curtain fall down and we got access to American movies. In movies, we saw board games, some games, you know, you saw like, but 
we didn't have such opportunity. So we tried to make our own board game. And you could not buy board game in Russia at that time because, like, why somebody, nobody knows about that. So Who would like, care D&D, about D&D, board games? D&D, it was some curse word. Like, why, what are you? Oh, about? it was a curse so, word, really? So, wow. Yeah. No, I mean, like, if you say something, like, what it means, like, nobody knows. So okay. me and my friend, and mostly we watching some movies, cartoon, like, so, like, oh, look, we're playing some games and you don't know rules. So you trying to copy it without knowing. So, and we made, and now understand, we made some really interesting board games without any understanding, like, so blindlessly. Well, then, uh, when I go, went to the engineering path, so 15 years of uh, total engineering, I just played, I always loved Play, uh, playing video games so and at some point i got in the Czech.io startup as a developer and then i figured out like i can make a game here what if you make <laughs> a game here like so because it was just like quite on uh, court uh, challenges and then like okay let's add another game into and like and that's i slowly like but I love this one. I, it's, you know, it's especially, you have uh, pressured memories of like your childhood and you forgot already about your dream kids, like because 15 years, you're engineer, software developer, telecommunication, like, so no games. Mm-hmm. Games, it's, games is entertainment. Nobody, especially in your area with your circle of, I mean, for them, it's like, it's serious engineers. Like, so Very games, serious, yeah. Game, games, 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 what like, and, so I had some, yeah, really deep about memory. And then when you started to work on that with Czech.io, with some code puzzle, like, oh, but it's exactly what I love. And I slowly and, yeah, after that, I figured out, like, when I got the code combat, it's exactly what I love, love to do. Mm. It's, uh, <laughs> it's exactly my kid dreams got back childhood dream i i think the three of us all can agree that we sort of are very lucky and i'm also very grateful that we work in this industry where once in a while i pinch myself like wait wait wait, i'm getting paid to play games and also design them what you know as as parents our parents always are really serious job engineer whatever and but but no we we're we are being children sometimes in order to to make immersive games for them. Uh, don't don't, so, don't give ahead. the impression that there aren't hassles. People oh, who yes. work in games deserve to get paid. We this do. Still we work. Do. <laughs> it's, Bobby, you're right. We're going to talk about that later. But we do, yes, we do work. We do important work. But I think Valentin's point is just because it's work doesn't mean you can't also enjoy it. Yeah, and it's the work you dreamed of doing. Yeah. Yeah, it can it's like if it, in, I can't uh, say like, oh, I did not like when I was, I, I still like, like engineering. I, when I yeah. went to engineers, like, it's not because like, oh, you must do it. Like, no, <laughs> I, I, I love, I loved what I did. Like, so it's exactly the same. And I really like that part. So I, that's why maybe I n- still name myself like Jack of all trade engineer, because I like it. It's by the way, what I like about game design. Because it's usually you jack of all trades. It's hard to focus on something. You have to work on different areas. It's like, almost a requirement to be a jack of all trades and and understand all the different aspects. 
And it's the part what I like especially because I don't want to be like narrow specialist. Like I want to get everything, like read all mm. books, watch everything. So it's exactly opportunity <laughs> for us. So we've been talking mostly about just game design alone, but all three of us have worked on this game Azaria and that's really game-based learning. Some of you have, might have heard of that. It's been talked about more and more through the past years, but I wanted to dive into what we consider is a definition of game-based learning. So Bobby, could you take a first stab at what is game-based learning? Sure. So, so every game teaches you something. Usually, at the very least, it teaches you the rules of its own game. <laughs> and well-designed digital games often teach you more about like, you know, strategy and teamwork and things like that. Games-based learning is an effort to redirect the learning that naturally occurs very organically in video games, especially video games, but also tabletop games, and channel that towards subjects and skills that are useful outside of the game itself. That's a solid definition right there. <laughs> Valentin, how about you? Anything to add to that definition? Every game is educational. Everyone, like you playing Doom, you learn how to navigate, how to about reaction, many things. So game-based learning, in my opinion, it's when creator of the game or education, we have a goal. So what mm -hmm. is the purpose of this game? Education learning, it's a tricky thing about it. can be active, can be passive, because, for example, my favorite example, uh, Assassin's Creed. It's great educational game. It's even, I can say it's game-based learning because you know a lot about Italy. Yeah, for mm -hmm. how it's, there are so many. The Renaissance, and yeah. I remember after that, I like checked all Wikipedia about this period because like, I'm playing, okay, who is this guy? Like next two hours you are reading about his biography, for example, instead of so, like, playing. So my understanding, the first half, I haven't played Assassin's Creed. But it sounds like they use actual historical figures in the in the storyline. Is that what? Definitely, yeah. it's like yes. all about the Medici family, mm -hmm. which is a real historical. Anyway, you become curious about. You start learning this one. So yeah, I, I and... think there's a distinction also between there's there's games based learning where you play a game and we surround you with educational materials that you can absorb if you want to. And then there's educational games where the education is sort of along the critical path. Like you have to actually practice the skill that you're learning in order to progress in the game. Mm -hmm. So like Assassin's Creed seems more like the former and like Civilization, lots of great games that have educational materials where yeah. you could just swap them out. And instead of, you know, instead of the Medici's, it's the blue triangles or whatever. You can just abstract everything and you can still play that game and it'll still be fun. But all of that adds color. And if you are interested, then you can dive in. So it's, it's like more about creating interest and the desire to learn outside of the game. Yeah. And then there's ones where it's like, you're actually just doing the skill that we're trying to teach. Like mm -hmm. the main mechanic of the game or mechanic is like i don't know if you've covered this in previous episodes but a game mechanic is basically like a verb that the player can do and the consequences of that verb so the main mechanic of the game could be 
the actual thing that you're trying to teach also. So that's like, I would say maybe two sides of a spectrum and you can co- combine them or go in between. Yeah, I think both are almost necessary in this field to master different concepts and skills. But on both sides, I feel it's intentional, like Valentin's saying, it is an intentional uh, design. Well, I would add one, uh, two examples, by the way, when I listened to Bobby and like, so like, okay, maybe my, so uh, it's intentional when in the creator minds, but sometimes it's hidden for players. So like, uh, there are two examples uh, of the game. One of them, uh, I don't remember exactly the name of this game. It's something dragon numbers or something. The point, uh, my daughter, dragon I remember box. play. Yeah. So oh, when my, you child, play... my daughter plays that too. She loves it. Yeah. Go ahead. The point, so you like have like, so one figure on the left side, on the right, you need to connect them when you move where have like negative versus changing. I'm watching this game and there are no awards about, so it's less game, but it's a game. Like I'm watching, watching, and then I understand, we teach you how solve solving equation it's mm-hmm. algebra and we we don't have a word about it's algebra we exactly hide it from you because like if we put it like it's algebra game most of the kids like boring like but <laughs> no 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 it's a game play it and another one it's a while to learn it's a close to the example what bobby mentioned uh so you can play this game it's about machine learning education so explain a lot about uh, machine learning but you can play it as a puzzle game there are some blocks we have rules you put blocks correct way it's puzzle game however each block has some reference it's like hey it's a three decision algorithm it's another one and uh, you can click on them and there is article video books even what you can read stories so and just solving puzzles you can okay how you you don't understand but you're learning about machine learning so right yeah and i i agree that's it's a different definition of intentional because that what i was saying is it's intentional on the game designer's part because both of those the kids might not know that they're learning the concepts but the designer spent a lot of time making sure what Bobby said, the game mechanic or the structure of the game inherently is paired with a concept that feels natural to the point where the kids don't even know that they're learning algebra or they're learning machine learning. Cause it makes sense that you would know this information in this part of the game, right? So I, I think yeah. that is the magic combination for sure when you yeah. get everything right. This is part of what makes like marketing learning games so tricky is that if you're gonna be <laughs> covert with the player about what the goals are <laughs> it's like oh it's yeah. just a game or whatever but you want to tell the parent or the teacher or whoever is acquiring the game like this is an educational experience it's worth giving it to your students uh, and it's worth their time it's not a waste of time i don't think any games are a waste of time but it's a common <laughs> uh, <laughs> i like to differ but i won't go <laughs> that's a rabbit hole we will not go down <laughs> but yeah go ahead mm. But yeah, so so that messaging is so tricky. Like, how can you deliver the, this is an educational product message to one audience and, oh, it's just a game. Don't worry about that to the other. I also it's feel a- conflicted as, so uh, a sneak peek into how our company or the way we work is Bobby and Valentin, when we were developing the game, they were technically the game design team. 
and I was part of the learning design team. And there's a bit of a push and pull there uh, because on the learning design team, we talk about metacognition where it's good for a student to know that they're learning, that they're challenging themselves and that, oh, reflecting on their learning process. But we also don't want it to overtake the game to the point where the fun is completely taken out of the game. And that's where Valentin and Bobby are always pushing like, hey, dude, let's not talk about learning for forever because the kids aren't going to want to continue the game. So there is a lot of push and pull between the two, even within our game design uh, well, process. Designed for the classroom, it, it might be a lost cause to be covert about the learning process. Like your teacher gave you this. I wonder why <laughs> it wasn't like. Yeah. yeah. The, the main point usually for it's uh, common for kids games usually, but especially for educational games. The point your player and your customer it's two different people like so because usually play and who buy your game the same person but here like kids your players parents school your customer so you need to explain them for players it's a game but for customer no 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 it's not a game it's educational like we don't play it so much so and you're trying to bal balance between them like to persuade both sides different <laughs> opposite things yeah half the battle is oftentimes we'll have the game and we try to make it fun immersive i agree it's hard to hide it when the teacher's saying go play this game <laughs> but then the extra material to help a teacher or parent understand hey look at all this learning that's happening is provided with curriculum resources like you said marketing material videos and things where it's teach we, we often say is this teacher facing or student facing or parent facing because we have to think about all three of those individuals when we're designing a game like this. That brings up another tension of the, the sort of analytics and, and dashboard type things that you wanna to show to teachers, but you also don't want students to feel like they're being surveilled, especially in a single player game experience. Why do you think it would be an issue for students to feel that they're being surveilled while they're playing a single player game like that? Because games require you to try things without fear and most of the school experience is around getting the right answer <laughs> and if, yeah. if, it, if it feels like you know the more i try and fail the worse it is that's the opposite of what a satisfying game experience should be you should be free to try and fail as many times as you want and it should be fun to do that <laughs> and, and that's kind of how you get the sense of the full possibility space of the game is by failing in every possible way. And yeah. that's the whole reason why game-based learning is there, is to yeah. embrace the benefits of game design. We purposely want players to fail in order to learn the rules and encourage them to embrace failure. And if we have a dashboard where the kids feel like they're possibly failing <laughs> by not doing it correctly the first time, yeah, I, I agree. We're not really properly using the benefits of game-based learning to develop the product. Uh, Valentin, did you want to add something to that? Yes, sadly, for kids sometimes, even for games, it's hard to kids to explain, like, it's okay to lose. And I think it's uh, the reason is exactly school, because many schools uh, add some competition, like you need to win, you need to be the best. And then we start playing games and we're not playing a, g a game like you should play a game. If you're playing classical Nintendo games, like any arcade games, it's exactly the point. Like, 
die, yeah, lose, I think, get better, repeat. Like. Yeah, a good gauge is, for example, let's go all the way back to Super Mario, right? When you die, you don't immediately go, oh, okay, that's the end of the game, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> most kids, when they die, they go, oh, I want to try again. Like, I want to try again. And I think that is a great indicator that something was done correctly where it didn't feel like a failure. It felt like I learned something about this level and now I can start again. And I agree, we do have competitive gaming at Code Combat. We have the AI League. But I think what we've been learning at this company is that it's you can't really teach coding with just one type of game, really, because that only appeals to one type of game player. But we need to develop different types of game experiences for different types of kids who might have different learning styles, right? Okay. And I think it's for, for our PvP, one of the great things why it works, because we don't have many chats, communication. I recently started playing many competitive games. And what I like, for example, for Fortnite game, we limit any chats, communication, so you can communicate with only some emotes and so, mm -hmm. like, some, something. Because otherwise, you get in, try to play Dota or League of Legends. When you're losing, it's not just losing. We explain you why you're losing, why you're so bad, and you don't want to play this game ever. I think the nice thing about the AI League is that you're not even directly playing against another person. Mm -hmm. you're, you're creating a player almost to play against the other person's creation. Yeah, a good point. It's, it comes down to mastery. When a kid feels like I'm mastering a skill, not, oh, I have to win. I feel like it really helps them go beyond the fear of failing and make them realize, oh, I'm going to feel forward and I'm going to actually improve my skills by doing so. So I, I agree. That's a key difference. I wanted to dive into how the process worked for us when we were designing the levels and games in Azaria. Bobby, could you dive into what that process was like? What was it like just trying to design one level in Azaria. We never designed one level in isolation, but we would have like, we, everything starts with a learning goal. It's here's where we are in a, in a learning progression that, that has been decided upon beforehand. So we wanna try and either prime a skill by creating a situation where you can't succeed because you don't have the skill yet, or now we want to explain or practice a skill. The tricky thing is to create sort of a puzzle scenario where you have to use the skill to proceed. And for some of them, it's very straightforward. Like, especially if you have sort of limited resources that you can, because we had free text input, right? For It's open-ended. Yeah, yeah you can, can type, type anything. anything you want into there. And the amazing thing about programming is that anything you want to do, you can do a hundred different ways. And we, there was no way for us to anticipate them all, but we wanted to try and encourage players to take a certain path usually, or maybe a few possible paths through a level. Basically that was the problem. And Valentin and I would try and like sort of debate about <laughs> how, how to solve that problem with like a shared whiteboard and we'd come to you every so often like is this a reasonable solution to this <laughs> problem and then 
sometimes before you even had a chance to answer it'd be like oh no no never mind <laughs> remember that's, that's bad. yeah <laughs> i'd be like wait is it ready now can i look at it now I'm like no 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 no. we realize this doesn't make any sense it's too complicated <laughs> and or there's I, an easy way around it using something we already taught or you know <laughs> it's i think like, it's like it, it helps that we all play games because I, I i noticed when you were designing i could see you all literally switch and put on the the player hat like the student hat and go wait wait where could kids possibly get confused or stuck or like you said anticipating a different path that they may take did you all do that a lot when you were discussing and working together yeah absolutely I don't know if if it's even a a a switch that we had to do it's like you're always thinking about it from the player's perspective and then like later we decide oh can we even do this technically or whatever I don't know. It feels like almost a continuum. You never have to be like, oh, now I'm in student mode. How would I go through this level? Okay, now I'm in game designer mode. Like, how would I lay this out or whatever? It's all like one amorphous thing in my mind. (laughs) Yeah. And Valentin, Bobby mentioned the whole whiteboarding. I got a glimpse into it where it was literally just a mock-up with random symbols and squares and rectangles. Can you touch upon why your initial design was just so rough uh, for the level? So it's our gray box level was like, but in our case, it was really flat. So because we didn't worry about details, we don't have to worry about like how play can play jump on this cliff on some arcade game. No, we always work it like how complicated solution should it be? What codes, for example, you can some way cheat on the level and find some really complicated solution and trick a system like, hey, I don't have to jump to this river because I wrote some complicated code and go around. In this case, like, okay, you wrote instead two lines of code, like 20? Yeah, you definitely That's a win us. for us, yeah. Win for us, <laughs> like, yeah. When Bobby mentioned about we did not work on level insulation, I would like to add one thing which... Um, could be good advice for everyone who making exactly this game design, educational, and process. So many of the games, many of the projects were working. We did the same mistake with Code Combat long time ago. We worked on like game design, learning design, and like in parallel process and never intersect. Like so it's 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 not connected, but we see definitely we had curriculum, then gave it some game designers. And mm-hmm. like, and no communication at all. We try to build game based on that. And right, never, so never one talk. or the other was an afterthought almost. It, it feels shoehorned in, basically. Or it just wasn't iterative. Yeah, it wasn't iterative. So we'd do that gray box and like show it to you, and then we'd build a, a mock-up in the engine, and then <laughs> and then show that to you, and and then polish it up, and then we'd all play it together. Yeah, and we'd also do play testing too. Mm. And and I think that I like the word iterative because I think some people feel we just design it, we build it, and we ship it, and we're done. But really, we're just constantly getting revision and feedback, not within just our team, but also with other kids and teachers yeah. when they're, they're looking at our content. There well. are a lot of levels that just never made it that are yeah, yeah. <laughs> hidden because <laughs> they'll they'll never be in the game. There's some that we thought oh, this is a good introduction to this concept. But then it turns out it wasn't a smooth enough ramp introduction. So we just changed that level into a practice level instead. 
so game designers thinking about game mechanic, learning designers thinking about like learning mechanic concept. Yeah. And if you're trying to think in that, like in parallel way are not connected, you can get two ways, really simple levels, which contains nothing or too complicated when you game designers introduce it three game mechanics for them. It's okay. Yeah. Because like game is still nice. And then learning designers like put several concepts above and that's the point when it became unplayable. So you always need to count like learning concept, game mechanics, and you need to weight in them equally. Right. I, I feel like it was co a constant consideration on, hey, is this game mechanic or new rule? So we'd introduce a new spell. Is this new? Is it too complicated? Do we need to break it down a little bit more? So sometimes it was the mechanic that was causing confusion and we had to break it down more. Or sometimes it was the concept. We had some concepts where we go, whoa, conditionals are confusing. And so then we had to really simplify the game mechanic to make sure that the concept could be understood. You need to think about consequences. So you can't just add game mechanics because it's for fun. No, we need to basically, okay, I add this game mechanics how I can use it later for some concept, because otherwise you just make a game, not educational game. So that's, that's how you get chocolate covered broccoli, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what's, so okay. Like... What's chocolate covered broccoli, Bobby? Why don't you dive into that a little bit more? So that's where the game mechanics and the learning concept don't match up. So like broccoli is nice on its own. Chocolate's nice on the, on its own. If you combine them, it's no good at all. My best example of that is a game that's still beloved, but I think it's beloved basically because of nostalgia. And that's Math Blasters. Oh, Math Blasters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so people still love Math Blasters because it was the only game in town, basically. But it's <laughs> it's a pretty lousy game in terms of uh, game-based learning. I don't mind saying <laughs> because you play like a fun piloting game or shooting game and then the game basically pauses and asks you a math question that's so true that's a good point it, it has sounds nothing like to do with the game you exactly. know there is like a sport when it's box plus chess people like yes like chess boxing and then like chess yeah so sounds the same like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's those are both great examples. So that's chocolate covered broccoli. We're trying to make broccoli with ranch dressing or something that like yeah, like a nice well casserole. Together. A casserole. Ooh, that's a that's also <laughs> a lot with nuts. Nuts are healthy thing, right? So like oh, yes, chocolate, chocolate covered nuts. Yeah. yeah, in this case, because we are combined really well. So it's the same here, like game games which work really with concept. For concept, we think like how we can use this concept for another game mechanic so it's uh, connected always like otherwise yeah as Bobby said broccoli not nice <laughs> so looking beyond our own game how will the role of game design make an impact in the future of education Valentin do you want to take a stab at that I recently started to looking for specific uh, courses maybe some articles about educational game design so not so many materials about that courses. So what I figure out, uh, maybe it's just like my personal subjective one, but I think something like 80% of people who name themselves educational game designers are ex-teachers 
or maybe not X, maybe teachers. We know a lot about education. And then we learned something about game design, game development. So I would like to have more game designers who learn about education, because ideally if it would be 50-50, so we work together, we definitely need more both people. disciplines take a lifetime to master so yeah it's hard to yeah. say like i'm gonna do both at the same time i really would like to see more people understanding this one because as we said before every game is educational but we can put more intention in that goal how about you bobby what do you think is the role of game design and game-based learning in the future of education i think that unless there are bigger changes in education, then it's pretty much going to stay what it is, which is like a supplemental material that's used either as a reward for the students who complete things fast or as an intervention for students who need extra help. Some enlightened teachers may do like a flip classroom thing where everyone's playing games in the class and then they deliver the lecture at, you know, through video. Fundamentally, I feel like it's just another kind of textbook right now, like a, a more fun textbook, maybe a more effective in terms of long-term retention, but we're not going further in the like SAMR model unless other things change about education. What would need to change? I mean, for you, if you could just remove all of the current structures that we see in the education system and then say, okay, from the beginning, we're, we're going to approach this with game-based learning in mind. Mm. How would the classroom look different? You, you mentioned flipped classrooms, uh, and flipped classrooms are often where the students are able to be proactive about mm. their learning uh, more. But how would you envision it? I have a lot of thoughts about that. So, like, first of all, democratic schools. So kids should have a lot of voice in how they learn. And project-based learning should be interest driven and not like age segregated. So, so like games-based learning is a fantastic sort of onboarding to project-based learning, like more authentic real world impact by the product of students' efforts. Right now, like you, you make, you write a fantastic essay and you give it to your teacher and maybe they have a chuckle and give you an A and that essay is never seen again. <laughs> And no one cares that it ever existed. I feel like that, that practice environment can entirely be within game. And then that frees students up to, uh, and then also like let them choose when, how much time to spend in the game and how much. Yeah. There's, right. You could go on about that for sure. Uh, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. we've also started noticing where kids actually are designing their own games mm. and learning about principles of game design. To, to create their own games to sometimes teach a concept mm -hmm. on their own or just to develop their own game as well. Uh, so I, I agree how it, it is a great like lead into project-based learning because kids can actually create their own projects mm -hmm. after they've learned game design. And yeah, and, it's the next best thing to like an authentic project is authentic within a virtual environment. Yeah. Right, yeah. And then what advice would you give to someone who is interested in game design for the ed tech space? Valentin, you mentioned that, hey, we just need more game designers who have some yeah. education background. But how about anybody who's interested in, in game design yeah. for the ed tech? I have advice for both 
side. For example, if you game design game developer and want to make some education game, in this case, I really recommend try to teach something. Your kids, friends' kids, find some kid club, try to teach. And because you need to understand kids or students, depends on your audience, but try to teach because most of the people who are making education were never taught anyone. So never tried to be as a teacher. It's like play testing, especially we game designers, engineers, we love learning. So, and we start thinking like everyone likes that. Like it's not so. From another side, if you're a teacher already, you know a lot about education, like you want to know about game design, my first advice, play video games, board games, video games, play a lot, play just a simple one, open your phone, which one platform, find top 10 and play them all. Because maybe you don't like this game, but your students like those games. It's a dark side of game design. Yeah, you you playing, uh, you work to play video games, but often it's playing video games which you don't like, which yeah. not, not yeah, your you genre, to, but you You have play. to learn the difference between this isn't the kind of thing I like and this is bad. Yes. Because yes. there oh, are games great. that are poorly designed and then there are games that are very well designed, but it's just not your cup of tea. Yeah, and if you shut yeah. yourself off to, I'm only going to play games I enjoy, you're sort of missing out on an entire sector of well-designed mm -hmm. games that might not be in your genre of interest, right? So I, I totally agree. How about you, Bobby? Mm. Do you have any advice for uh, anyone interested in game design for the ed tech space? Yeah, I'd say don't be intimidated because there's a lot of scholarship around this, like especially if you've made a game before and it has a, a tutorial, tutorializing is what educational games do. So you've already done it. And that, that process of making a, a good educational experience and creating a good tutorial are identical. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what I think brings people like us together is that we can, <laughs> well, that's like the overlap in our skills is that we can tutorialize something in a way that is, is fun and interesting and that's and also read a bunch like <laughs> the oh, jim yeah. g's book i think is a good place to start what video games have to teach us about learning and literacy that actually started a whole department at uw madison of learning games research so that's a good place to start yeah there's already a lot of information out there and a lot of work that's been done to learn about this process so that's also a great place to just start your journey right mm -hmm. Well, I really want to thank both of you for being part of this podcast. And thanks so much for sharing your experience with us. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Charlotte. <laughs> Great to see you both. Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.